Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. How's everybody this morning? I am so grateful for air conditioning. I'm so grateful for lights. Let me tell you why. Three in the morning, we had none. So uh, apparently uh, a drunk driver hit something close by. Uh, We had no electricity until 6.30 or so this morning. And so uh, uh, we were up early praying that uh, uh, we'd be able to have worship and electricity and air conditioned. Blessed air conditioned. Can I say amen? All right. Very, very cool. Hey, this morning, if you'll turn me your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, and we're arriving at the, the conclusion of our sermon series together, focusing on Father Abraham, uh, an amazing journey together as we see a man of faith, we see a man that, that God uh, called to himself. Uh, it's amazing what God says about Abraham throughout the Bible. It says that he was credited with righteousness, that God saw him as righteous in his sight. Not because of religious stuff he did, but by God's grace, he had faith. He had faith that God would come through with what he's promised. That God would live up to his word. That God would be God and God would be trustworthy. And and because by God's grace, Abraham had this faith. And specifically, he had faith in in a seed to come and a promise. He had faith that one would come to make all things right. And you read the Bible story, you find out that's Jesus. And because of that faith... He was set free. He was considered righteous. All right. Now, when we started this journey together, I did this for the first couple weeks. Some of you right now are saying, oh, no. All right. And I think we got to end it the same way we started it. All right. So if you know this, sing with me. If you don't, please try to sing with me because don't let me sing a solo up here. But there's a song that if those of us who hung out in churches or church camps, we know this song. You ready for it? Here we go. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of him, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. All right, very good. Awesome. Well, Father Abraham, he is called our father. Uh, He is told that he'll have more sons than there are stars in the sky. But as we looked at the story so far, he hasn't had that many. As a matter of fact, Abraham so far has had two sons. He's had a, a son of his own effort. What I mean by that is when God's promises weren't coming through in the right timing, he and his wife, Sarah, took matters in his own hands. And they said, you know what? We're going to help God out. Uh, We're going to bring this other party in, a woman named Hagar. We'll try to have a son through her. It was never God's plan. It was never part of God's promise. It was human effort. And we've seen very sadly that this son, Hagar, was actually driven away. Uh, He is actually, uh, can you imagine the pain of Abraham having to drive out uh, a son? Even if it was kind of an illegitimate or not the right way. Man, how tough. But now the son of promise has finally come. And his name is Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. Great name for Isaac because you want to laugh at what God has done. That Sarah, who's 90 years old, and Abraham, who's 100 years old, well past childbearing years, they can have a son. And this son named Isaac is the one who's going to carry the promise and the blessings of God through. And now the ultimate test comes to Abraham. The ultimate test. And it's this. God is going to tell Abraham, we're going to see it in scripture. We're going to try to understand it. Take your only son. Take that one promised son, Isaac, and go to a place I'm going to show you. I want you to sacrifice him. We're going to see the ultimate test that God has put Abraham through. What's the hardest test you've ever been through? What's the toughest trial in your life? What's the absolute, the, the darkest moment, the hardest thing? What was the, the biggest mountain of trial in your life? For some of you, you might be going through it right now. 
I ask God's richest blessing on you. I got a couple of questions to ask you as we begin. What was the biggest, let's call it a test or trial of your life. And, and let me ask, what did God reveal about himself through that test or trial? On the other side of it, what, what do you say? Man, you know what? I, I found out this about God. And what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about yourself through that trial? And again, I'm kind of kind of hit fast forward here and tell you, the biggest trial I went through was that I could really trust God when it's really, really dark. Even when I didn't think I could. And you know what I learned about myself? I stink at walking by faith. I realized that when it was called, it was really difficult sometimes. That I wasn't good at it. And I really wanted to get better. So this morning as we conclude our series on Abraham's life, we're going to see this. Three things. A God who gives a test. A God who administers tests. Second thing is, a God who provides a sacrifice. And thirdly, a God who continually renews his promises. Basically saying it this way, God just can't stop keeping promise. It's really, really cool. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. Let's be mindful that God, God inspired a man named Moses to write these. Moses wrote them a long time ago. And he wrote it specifically for uh, people that were wandering in the desert, longing for a promised land. But because these are God's very words, because God's being was breathed upon Moses, these are living words. These are active words. These, these aren't words just for that original audience. They're words for you. They're words for me. But you see, these words aren't just to entertain us. This is not a story that makes us think, oh, that's a cool story, or that's a kind of icky story. This is, a, this is a story that God wants us to look and reflect it in our life and see God and see who we are. So let's be mindful that this is how, out of God's love that he has given us this holy and errant word. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let's hit pause for a second there. One of the things that's the key word in this whole text is son. I want you to hear how many times God is going to make sure that Abraham knows son, your son, your son that you love, your only son, 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 son is being driven into this. Uh, also, as we know, this is very similar to the way the whole story of Abraham began. How did the story of Abraham begin? Well, it began with God calling him to say, go. Go to a land that I will show you. Now he's saying, go to a, a, a mountain that I will show you. Both of the call of God, the beginning and the end here, uh, God is calling him to do something uh, that really requires walking by faith. So Abraham rose early in the morning. How do you think he slept that night? Saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. What was he thinking as he's swinging that axe? And arose and went to the place of which God had told him on the third day. How agonizing was that journey? On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. 
and come, and we, it's plural, and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they, they went both of them together. And Isaac had said to his father, Abraham, my father, oh, how those words must have plunged his heart. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you had not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let us pray. Father God, what an amazing and confusing story we have before us. God, we need to understand what it really means that you would call your people to a test like this. Father, we need to understand what this meant to those who first heard it. We need to understand what it means to us who have the privilege of living on this side of the cross and knowing that you, Father, you would love us so much that you would sacrifice your only son so that through his death we could live. Oh God, I know one thing for sure this morning, that you and you alone have to come and be our teacher through the power of your word and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear your voice, Jesus. Give us minds to understand your word, Father. Give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love. And be with us so powerfully and so tangibly that we can walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. 
with the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior? And it's in Jesus' powerful and holy name we pray. Amen. What do you think of that story? If you've been around church, you know it. Uh, maybe if you're new to church, you're thinking, oh my goodness, that's in the Bible? I mean, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a story, isn't it? I mean, a man named Abraham who was promised a son, uh, a son of promise, he's waited a really long time for him. And the promises that were through this son, I mean, God is basically promising to make all things right, all things new, uh, to turn around a curse eventually through this son, through this seed. I mean, this is the, the seed of hope. And so what in the world is God doing? I mean, God is going to say to Abraham, hey, I want to take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. Let's make sure we get it clear. His name's Isaac, and I want you to go, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, seriously, every one of us can pause and say, what in the world? Well, I think that the only way that this makes any sense is if we can look both backwards to what this really meant to the original audience and look forward to what it means to us realizing that Christ has come. Let's talk about the original ones who first heard this. It wouldn't have been as weird to them as it is to us immediately. Why? Because these were God's people who had just left Egypt and they were heading to the promised land. And God got them out of Egypt in slavery in a very unique way, in a way that really showed that God and God alone, the God, their God is the God, creator God, God Almighty. God mocked all the gods of Egypt with these plagues, he said. Everything that they worshipped, he mocked it. And he basically says, I am God Almighty. And the last thing that God did, the last te- plague, it was a terrible plague, that God used on the Egyptians to free his people was the death of a firstborn son. And the firstborn son, I mean, that's like, that's your identity in that day. That's your future. That's your heritage. I mean, the death of the firstborn son is basically saying all your strengths, all your hopes, all your dreams are going to die. And so God said to his people, listen, I'm going to spare the firstborn son for you. And you're going to take a Passover lamb and you're going to slaughter this lamb. You're going to put blood on a doorstep, uh, the doorpost. And with that, God will pass over and not take your firstborn. Now, I mean, it's an incredible story, and it's a foreshadowing story of Jesus. But through that, God's people, their firstborn son, was spared. That happens in uh, uh, the book of Exodus. And immediately after that, in the book of Exodus, God says to his people, I want you to take your firstborn son and then consecrate them to me. I own them. I want you to never forget this. So every time you have a firstborn, whoever opens up the womb, even an animal, I, I want you to redeem it. Sacrifice the animal, but for the son, I don't want you to sacrifice the son. I want you to sacrifice something else in the son's stead. You see, for the original audience, they knew that God owned that firstborn and knew that they were to be a sacrifice for that firstborn. They knew it. And so uh, this was a story that kind of made them recall why they are where they are and that God really owns all of them, but his grace and mercy to the firstborn son. But there's also, this story is an amazing story that foreshadows God's love for us. I mean, we have the privilege, we read the story, we know immediately God is going to test Abraham. We have the relief. We don't have to go through it. We're like, man, this is cool because we know it's going to have a good ending, right? Um, That God's testing him. But at the same time, we have even more. 
we know that this story really foreshadows the Father's love for us. Remember in the story where it said, now I know, Abraham, that you love me because you haven't withheld your own son from me? And God knew that already. God knows all things. But he's saying, now you've demonstrated that love. You've clearly demonstrated love for me because you wouldn't hold what was most precious to, to you from me. Does anybody see the Father's love for us? We read it this morning. For the Father demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. This amazingly foreshadows the cross of Christ Jesus. So for us to understand the story, we got to look back and we got to look forward to see what this all means, all means to us. But the first thing is this, a God who gives us a test. Why does God give us tests? <laughs> I mean... I got to tell you, this is, this is really difficult for me personally because I think that we all have, a, have an image of is, what's God doing? Is, is there easy masochistically just messing with us? I mean, what's, what's God doing? Is, why is he meddling? Why is God testing? And I think sometimes we misunderstand that, that we live in a fallen world and we can blame everything on a test from God. But I got to start by this. When you answer the question, why does God give us a test? Ready for your pastor's answer? This will be very clear because God does what he wants to do. God's ways are not our ways. I don't know. Isaiah 55 says God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so I'm not going to tell you exactly why because I don't know. But I know that he's a lot smarter than me and I know he's got a reason. I know he will redeem it. But here's what I do know. Scripture tells us that God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12, 6. So there'll be things in our lives that God will bring into our lives that that feel like a test, that feel like discipline because why he loves us. Because he wants us to be more like his son. Because he wants to burn the dross out of us and, and refine us. I know this also. That God doesn't test us to lead us into sin. I mean, we can't blame him. Uh, it says very clearly in James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted or tested, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one with evil. So he doesn't test us to see, oh, I'm going to see if they're going to fall into sin this time. It's not the point to lead us into sin. You see, I, I really believe at the core of what God is doing, God gives us tests to reveal our relationship to him. To reveal, how, how do we love him? How are we doing? My, my grandmother, one time when I was a young boy, she promised me, uh, she had a really cool toy at her house down here in Florida. And she also had a, a little cottage that they would have in upstate New York where we lived. And when we came down to Florida, we were able to play. And it was like the original little electronic table tennis. And now, if you're my age, uh, uh, you might remember that. It's a boxy-looking thing with some green screen and a little really fuzzy-looking thing. And then it was a ball going back and forth. And that was high-tech, you know? And it, it was like the coolest thing ever. And when we went to Florida, we were able to play with this ping-pongy little game. And my grandma said, you know what, uh, Jeffrey, I'm going to buy one for you up here. And I was so excited. I couldn't, I couldn't wait. So uh, my grandma and my Aunt Edna, her sister, we went out into uh, the little town in which we had a cottage. And we went all through the stores. And you know that not one of those stores in, in upstate New York, they probably didn't have anything that was electronic at all. But they didn't have it. And she tried. And I remember driving home as the most bratty, jerky grandchild ever. I was ticked because I didn't get what I was promised. And I really loved, listen, I really loved grandma's promises more than I loved grandma. 
It wasn't enough that she had tried. It wasn't enough that she had provided one. The reality was I was ticked at her and ticked at the stories. I was a brat because I loved grandma's promises more than I loved grandma at that time. Do we, do we, do we love the God of the promise? Or do we love the promises of God? He said, I think that's the ultimate question for us here. Do we love God and the God of promise? Or do we love the promises of God? And where is our heart truly set? You know, I love when we look about how Abraham responded to this test. I mean, he rose early and he was faithful. Oh my goodness, I imagine he didn't sleep the night before. But when it comes to a test, I know he didn't delay. And I know that he showed the love of God of the promise, not just the promises of God. And he journeyed for three days. He didn't give up. I mean, I got to tell you, in my flesh, I might have been like a day and a half into that thing if I ever went at all and say, you know what, I, I've tried. <laughs> three days, looking at your son every step of the way, saying, how in the world could I do this? You know, and, and Abraham's journey had to have an eerie, similar feeling because he just took his own other son, Ishmael, and drove him into the wilderness. And now another? Did, did Abraham love the promises of God or did Abraham love the God of promise? I got to tell you, this is really, really hard. I, I, I got to tell you honestly and confess that if I were put in that situation, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I often do that. I, I see even things in your life. And I see things that you've had to experience. And I think, I'm not sure I could do that. I'll even tell you, there's things that have happened in my life that I've seen and said, God, I'm not sure I can still be a preacher if that happened to me. But I do know this about my God. He rises up to meet us. And he is a faithful God. We have two golden retrievers. We have two great golden retrievers. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, we were given a golden retriever, about a year and a half old, and she had already had a litter of puppies. And when we got her, uh, who gives away golden retrievers? I mean, you know, I'm thinking, whoa, I got a purebred golden retriever. And uh, she had recently given birth, like, not too long ago, and I got the dog. And I'm not making this up. I'm telling you, this is how smart your pastor is. I'm looking at her. I'm like, man, it's a great dog. She loves the pool. She loves chasing after a ball. But she's kind of getting big underneath What's going on down there? So I call up the other, I call up the owners who gave us the dog. And I seriously, I have no idea. I'm, I'm like blank. And if you know where I'm going with the story. I, I call and say, hey, I want to know. Love Abby. She's a great dog and all things. But I know she had a litter a long time ago. Shouldn't she be like getting back into shape? And they said, oh, we thought we kept them apart. Oh. So listen, I got a free dog. And the dog gave birth to seven puppies. I sold six to people in the church and gouged them terribly. Just kidding. <laughs> and I kept the best one. I mean, a free dog, I made $2,400 and I got a, a, a puppy, Knox. And Knox is the greatest dog that ever lived. I named him after John Knox. He was a, a, a theologian. He was a, the reformer of Scotland. He was known as John Knox, the thundering Scot. My, my dog, Knox, is not the thundering Scot. He is, he is just a lover, not a fighter. And he is, he's a pure lover. But the interesting thing about Abby and Knox is this. Abby loves what I provide. Abby loves what I provide. If I'm outside, she wants to be there. She'll, not, she'll bark at the door incessantly. If I'm outside studying or sitting, she went, I want to come out, I want to come out, I want to come out. But she doesn't want to be with me. She wants to be with what I provide for her. A tennis ball and throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. 
She spends time with me on her schedule, on her terms, and as long as I'm meeting her demands. That's Abby. Knox, he just loves who I am. Do you know that Knox is probably 80 to 100 pounds and he thinks he's a lap dog? I mean, this is Knox. I mean, he will <laughs> crawl into my lap. He's not supposed to be on the furniture, but Knox thinks he's a lap dog, and I love it because Knox just wants to be with me. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to your relationship with God, are you Abby? Do you love what God provides, or are you Knox? Do you love who God is? You see, God's test will come down to this. It's really testing us. How are you doing walking by faith? That's this whole gig. This whole Christian gig is walking by faith. This is what it's all about. Trusting God in the darkness. Trusting that he will provide what we cannot see. Trusting God when things go, go blank or dark. It's hard. What's your Isaac? What's the one thing you say, I can't be happy without this? What's the one thing you'll say to God, I need you and mm, this for me to be happy? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Your career? Your health? What's your Isaac? What's the one thing that says, for me to be happy, for me to be joyful, that's, I got to have this. And that's what Abraham was tested to say, your Isaac, I want you to put on the altar. I don't want you to trust me. A God who gives us a test. And here's the really good news. The second thing is this. A God who provides the sacrifice. You know, what we've seen about this story of Abraham is that God graciously enters into a relationship with us. We call it a covenant. God makes an a, a agreement, an agreement in blood. He promises to be our God. He promises that we will be his people. He makes these great promises to us. But we see in the story of the Bible is this, is that God not only initiates with us, he's not only our covenant maker, our relationship maker, he's our, our relationship keeper. God provides I've said it this way a lot of times to you. What God requires of us, God provides for us. Let me say that again because it's astoundingly true. It's radically good. What God requires from us, God provides for us. And let me tell you, he's holy God and he requires a lot. He's going to require perfection. He's going to require a sacrifice. What God requires of us, God provides for us. And we see clearly Abraham walking by faith. He, he knew that God would provide. I, I love verse 5. I mean, verse 5, we can see a man of faith. And, and what he says is this. He says to the two men, the young men who went with him, he says, I want you to stay here because the boy and I, we're going to go where God shows us. And we are going to go worship. And here's what he says. And we will come back. I mean, I know that Abraham had every intention that he was going to follow through on what God had asked him to do. We see that with a knife in the air. But he knew what God could do. We will come back. I love where we are in redemptive history. I love that we have the book of Hebrews to tell us a little bit more of the mindset of who, what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring, will be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here's the point. He knew that God was not going to go back on his promise. And he knew that somebody, if it it took a resurrection, he was going to do it. And so what he says, he says, we're going to go worship, but we're going to come back. And we'll come back here. 
But he says even more than that. He says this. He says, God will, when the son asked, hey, dad, father, okay, I got the wood on my back. I see you got the knife and the fire. Where in the world is the lamb? What what are we going to sacrifice here? And what is Abraham's unbelievable response? God himself will provide the lamb. You see, the entire story of the Bible is how God provides everything we need for salvation. It's the God who does it. It's amazing grace. God is the one who provides the promise. God is the one who provides the seed, the seed to come that will make all things new. His name is Jesus. God's the one who will provide the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. It's John the Baptist saw him and he said, saw Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. You see, God provides the promise. God provides the seed. God provides the lamb. God provides even the grace. And God provides the faith for us to, be, to, belong, to believe. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Scripture says that throughout. Psalm 3, 8. Jonah 2, 9. Revelation 7, 10. The point of God's word is, is salvation is my idea. It's my execution. It's going to be done for my people all by my grace. What a great God we have. I know you've heard this passage. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's think of that. Think of this story and hear this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all by his gift. Listen to this passage, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? He, he says, now I know for sure, Isaac, you love me. Or uh, uh, Abraham, you love me. You gave up Isaac. You ever wonder if God's for you? You ever wonder if God cares for you? You ever wonder if God's left the building? Let me tell you, God has, he couldn't demonstrate his love more clearly. He sent his son to be sacrificed so that we now know that he'll give us all things we need. Lastly, he's a God who keeps renewing his promise. <laughs> In this passage, after this, he says, I swear by myself. God could swear by no other name. I mean, it's the highest name. I swear I'm going to keep blessing you. I promise I'm going to keep my word. God says, I'm going to multiply your offspring, Abraham. And here we are. God says, I'm going I'm to give you descendants, and I'm going to give your descendants a land. And I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And here we are. You see, God's ultimate renewing of his promise is the sacrifice of his son. Scripture says this, of all the promises of God, they all find their yes in Christ Jesus. Here's what it means. That Jesus' righteous life, that Jesus' atoning death, that Jesus' power over the grave and resurrection, that everything that God has promised to his people find their yes in Christ Jesus. But here's the point. Don't love the God. Don't love God's promises more than the promise, the God of promise. Boy, did I mess that up. (laughs) Don't love the promises of God more than the God of promise. Walk by faith. He didn't spare his own son. He is and he will make all things right. Either in this life or the life to come. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not give you more than you can handle. Um, he will be your guide and your comfort and even your joy, your name, and your identity. He keeps renewing his promises and he cannot fail. This, this Lord's Supper, this communion is a tangible reminder of God's love for us. It's a tangible reminder of Jesus' love for us and his sacrifice for us. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and be with us and bless us. It's a meal for God's family. It's a meal simply for those of us, by God's grace, who say, I believe. I believe in that, John 3.16. That applies to me. He sent Jesus for me. I believe that he was sacrificed for my sins. I believe that he was resurrected, and now I live and have life in him. And for all of us who have that grace and that belief, he says, come. Come and tangibly be reminded of the love I have for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the clearest, most profound, earth-shattering love that you have for us. That you would demonstrate that love while we were still sinners. That you would send your own son to die. That you would do that which you've asked Abraham to do. But unlike Abraham, that hand you stopped, you didn't stop yours. That you allowed your son to become our sin so that we could become his righteousness. We thank you. Father, we thank you for your wisdom and the test that you give us to really reveal to us what it looks like to walk by faith and how that we're doing. And to know for sure, do we love the promises of God or do we love the God of promise? And Father, I pray for each one of us that we wouldn't just love your promises, but we love you and we trust you, even in the dark. For your glory we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.